Okay, let's, let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. I ask, Lord, as we work through today's section of Ephesians, that you would uh, just lead us by your spirit, Lord. Um, soften our hearts, Lord. Uh, help us um, to, to, to see what it is that's said here. And Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, to become more like Christ in our, our relationships, from our, from our marriages to our family dynamics to the, where we work, uh, just every area that our, that our lives are. Father, we ask that you would help us to be uh, good ambassadors to you. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse, uh, I was going to start in verse 21. Um, verse 21 is a mid-sentence. That's what I'm hemming and hawing about. Uh, but we'll start there. Uh, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself, being the Savior of the body, But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual amongst you also is to love his wife, his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. And Father, we ask that you would help us now. And it's in Christ's good name, I pray. Um, it's funny. A lot of people were aware that this text was coming. Uh, Last week, I was notified by my wife and Jeremiah's wife that they were going to be in Sunday school. And, uh, and I'm like, why? What's happening? And they're like, you know what's happening. I'm like, I don't know. Oh, I see what's happening here. Um, I was notified that, you know, Tim suddenly got sick this morning. And uh, other people had medical appointments. I'm like, come on, people. Like, so you guys are very courageous for being here. Um, this this is a this is a passage that that there's that there's tension with. It's a it's a difficult passage, um, kind of. I mean, it's it's difficult for a couple reasons. First, it 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 does cut against our culture and what our what our culture says. Even on like like there's assumptions here like that have been challenged by our culture about who gets married, what constitutes marriage. What is the purpose of marriage? Um, and so, like, as time sort of unfolds, this passage gets even uh, more difficult because you're kind of swimming upstream in, against the, what culture says and dictates. But the other aspect, which I think is more so why it's a hard passage, is because I, I do think that this passage 
has been horribly abused historically, even like within the church and by men in the church. And so uh, I don't think uh, that was necessarily the, the, the context of what was given here. Um, you can easily go through this dealing with wives and husbands. And so often that's how that, this passage has been dealt with. I've dealt with it that way many times. And then you get kind of to the end and you feel like, well, I'm, I'm out of sort of space, but I feel like I'm missing something super significant. Like every time I've sort of gone through this, that we sort of like miss, I think, sort of like the main point. And I don't think we can, I, I, I'm, I'm debating myself still. Um, clearly there's instructions to wives. There's clearly instructions to husbands. But in the midst of this, there's something far greater. And I, it sort of comes out uh, that when you, if you were to go through your Bible, like I did, and you were to highlight any instruction that's specifically towards wives, and you highlight that into pink, and then if you went anything that was specifically to or about husbands, that that would be in blue, because, you know, I'm gender assumptions, I guess, you know, for my part. And, and then, it, but then if you were to highlight in whatever color you choose, I chose green, uh, anything that is like instructional or explanatory about Jesus and the church, it really sort of like, the passage begins to shift. It's like, okay, there's husbands and wives, but, but the, the bulk of my text before me is green, dealing with Christ in the church. And so I kind of think in this, there's really this bigger sort of like message that's trying to be conveyed that we so often miss. And in theory, in my brain, what I'm hoping to do is to sort of take a third of the time looking at the wives, a third of the time looking at the men, and then a third of the time looking at the last component. Uh, the t- timeline means nothing. It's whatever happens is going to happen. We'll see um, what, what happens. Um, but when I come to this passage, I like our culture that so pushes against what the Bible has to say about marriage and family. The statistics on on marriage and family within our culture are horrible. Um, My my personal upbringing, um, I don't even know how I would count the marriages sort of like of my childhood. Uh, My dad had three wives, not at the same time, but at different times, and and all kinds of girlfriends that he tried to pretend or project that were like wives. Um, my mom was married at least three times that I'm aware of, and then if you throw step parents and their marriages before and afterwards, like I think I'm in the double digits of like marriages that I was exposed to, and so I sort of come. To this text, uh, when I was a young Christian, I, w- I entered into seeing stuff about the Bible, saying, "Well, what's happening in my world and my life isn't working and hasn't worked out." And so, I, as a child, experienced the the pain and sorrow of of really like a lot of sin and abuse and violence in the home and failed marriages, and all of the scars, and 
strain that come with that. This, the, the, the heart of this is if you have a divorce in your background, this isn't to make you feel guilt. Like this isn't at, at all. Like when the Bible says that God hates divorce, I think it's because God understands the pain that divorce uh, causes. And I, I, I don't, I haven't, I don't want to say I've, well, I definitely have not met, but I'm not looking for people. Like most people I've met that have gone through or are going through a divorce, it is described as like a, a horrific thing that it is not pleasant to go through. And I think that that is why uh, God hates it so much is because the pain and the ripple effect that it causes. Um, my, my life goal is really like when I was like 19, 20, 22 in that window, I sort of somewhere along the line of looking at the ramifications of what my parents' divorces caused in my, my family's life. My life goal sort of was like, well, I kind of gave myself permission to fail at everything in my life, except the one thing I didn't want to fail at was being a husband and being a parent. And I knew that I was in trouble because I knew nothing. I had no good example. All I had was a bad, like bad examples. And so my aim sort of started out was like, okay, whatever I saw, I'm just going to do the opposite. And we'll see how that works out. And, and now this, you know, this February, Anna and I are coming up on 22 years of marriage. And it's not because of anything I've done. It's like surely because of the grace of God. And Anna is a super gracious, kind person. I thought that was a clap. I was like, yeah, that's like a, it was just a coffee cup being snapped. But I was like, uh, and so we begin this passage really at verse 21, which is the previous section, which the previous section verses 15 through 21, it sort of goes through this, this teaching of, uh, to the, to the Christian. This whole book, this whole letter is really written to those who have given their lives to Christ and their believers. Verses 15 through 21, verses 15 through 21, sort of set the, what I think is like the, the kind of like the governing thought for maybe the rest of Ephesians, if not to like verse 9 of chapter 6, that as Christians, our lives should be under the control of the Spirit. Uh, there's a warning against uh, being drunk, because as you're drunk, you you lose uh, control of your your thought, your reasoning, your ability to do things, and so we're told to be yielded by the Holy Spirit. And as we yield our lives or subject our lives to the Holy Spirit, then certain attributes manifest themselves, like how we interact with one another, the love and care and support that we have for each other, that we think of others higher uh, or more than ourselves, uh, it becomes a very outward-focused sort of worldview. And the very last thing that we read there was in verse 21 that said, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So we have this word, subject, submission, same word. Like, And it's not women. This is everybody that every Christian needs to subject their lives to other people. That you think of others higher than you think you're of yourself. Our example is Christ. And Christ in Math or Mark 10.45, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so that's our example, that, that we are to go about our days seeking to honor others, to bless them, to think of ourselves less, and to think of others more. And, and this, this idea of this humble spirit um, 
It's to like bleed through the whole passage, the, the whole text that we're about to read for the next couple of weeks. This word uh, sub, subject or submission or whatever your Bible has in there, it's this word hupotasso, and it's a word <clears throat> that is a military term that has to do with sort of uh, rank structure. And it has the idea of an individual placing themselves under sort of a system. Um, <clears throat> I do believe that the Christian life is or should be marked uh, by a, a submissive spirit, that we uh, understand that the world that we live in, even in its fallen state, has been structured by a sovereign God. And because of our fear of Christ, out of our reverence to him, we humble ourselves and we place ourselves into subjection to the world around us. This cuts against sort of uh, like our internal innate being. There are two sorts of submission. There's internal submission and there's external submission. Internal submission means that you you are your own God. You make your own decisions. You do the things that you want to do. Um, And this is basically the premise of our world is we, we value sort of this idea of internal submission. As long as you're making yourself happy, that's the only thing that matters. The reality is that leads to really bad places, bad relationships, bad societies, bad everything. But then if we look at external submission, namely that there's something outside of you that you need to submit yourself to, it changes everything. For the Christian, we believe that there's a God in heaven who created the heavens and earth, that he spoke everything into existence, that ultimately one day we're going to stand before him and we're going to give an account. We believe that that same God gave us the scriptures. I want to hold my Bible, but I can't do it one-handed because my Bible's too big. But like that's like that, 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 that we are in subjection to the word of God as Christians. Oh, I almost knocked that over. Um, and so this whole idea of military rank, my, my time in the military, for me at least, this whole understanding, this, this, this structure was very much uh, influenced by, by the kind of uh, organization that, that I came up in in the military. I was in special forces. I was a Navy SEAL. How SEALs do things is very different than the rest of the military. Like to, to this day, some of my closest friends were officers that were senior than, to me. Those officers treated the guys that were under them with the utmost respect, understanding that they had... They, they had expertise, they had value, they were the experts, and they weren't. And so how they treated those that they served with was very different. And so to this day, like some of my best friends are guys that are, were officers that were over me who have a lot of power in the military, but they're just like my buddies. And there's a, there's a respect for them. And they, it's, it's mutual. And so when I read this story, so often when we get to this passage in, in the, the world, we sort of interpret this and, and think that like, oh, when we get into this part that everybody loves is the, the wives are submit to their husbands, we begin to think that this is like, that women are to s- submit to like every man that's out there. You guys can laugh because that's just not what it's saying. Um, one of the, I, 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 I don't know if I can say this in church, but I hate the army. <laughs> can I get an amen from you? <laughs> Jeremiah was in the army. Like I, I every time I was had to go to army school, I was almost kicked out. Anytime I had to deal with the army, it never was well. 
And one time, like, like one of the, like, the, the peak moments, and thankfully I wasn't the sort of the, the point guy in my, my group of people. Um, I was in the Middle East. We were doing an exercise on some island. I don't even know where the island was, but it was near Kuwait, Iraq, up there. We'd been up there for like a week or t- like just living uh, horribly. And we were all ready. Like the operation was over. We're ready to get out of there. And the, the cigarette boats that we have were like, hey, they broke. And so we're, we're stuck. And it's like, oh, man, do we have paddles? Like, do we have anything? You know, paddles don't work on a cigarette boat. Finally, like, hey, we think we can, like, tow it in to Kuwait to this army base. And so we're like, we weren't supposed to be there. So I had, like, I had some cash, but I had nothing, like, nothing. Like, we're filthy, stinky, and... We're walking through this army base trying to find uh, their their 7-Eleven. I forget what they call it, the PX or RX or NX. PX, I got it right. Um, <clears throat> we're walking there, and this little army guy comes, starts chewing us out. And we're like, dude, we're not, like, we're not in the mood for this. He's like, you, got, you, you guys didn't render me a, a hand salute. I'm like, well, how do you know what our rank is? We have like nothing identified. Like we have some like, he's like, well, I, I want to speak to you about your uniforms. You're wearing camis, but they're all just shoveled and they're all stuff. And you guys haven't shaved and whatever. And it's like, dude, we don't have to do any of this for you. And he's, he was getting so mad. He's like, we're going to go to the whatever, the whoever, something, high ranking army guy, something, I don't know, E9, whatever that is in the army. And, and then finally we're like, dude, we're special forces. We don't answer to you. And like, we think we have a little card that gives us, we didn't have a little card, but we think we have a little card that gives us permission. It's like a permission. And he's like, whoa, wait, you guys are Navy SEALs? And it's like, yeah. And it's like, oh, now you want to be buddy with us? And so we went on. And I think so often, like in our culture, the reason I bring this story up is I think that historically, men to women have acted like this army officer acted to us. It had no business trying to put us in our place. Like this, that, that's not at all. And I, and I don't even, when I say even put it in the place, that's not what this text says in the scripture. So let's let's dig in. I'll get this over with. Although you guys are an easy crowd, uh, you guys are here either by you having no idea or you came knowing. Um, um, so we read the first section, and I am going to kind of like hop and skip through the passage because I want to save the last part, like the main thing. So I kind of want to look at what is said to the to the to the to the wives. So verse twenty-two: Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body, but also uh, as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their husbands and everything. And so here we have this, this submit to your husband, um, or be, sub- be subject to your husband, uh, submit to your husband, whatever your translation says this is that word hupotasso. It's a it's a military term. Uh, I do want to point out before we go any further, there's no instruction here for men anywhere. There's no instruction here for husbands anywhere. This is speaking specifically to wives. And so this idea to 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 submit, this is an instruction from God to the to the woman. And it has to do with the woman and her relationship with God. And God is asking the woman to place herself under sort of the the headship of the husband. And I think this has a lot to do with uh, the attitude of, of the heart before the Lord. Um, I think this has a lot to do with God's design for the husband 
to, to be the, the spiritual leader within the home. And so as the wife is asked to do this, what it does is it opens sort of room for the husband to lead spiritually as God has called him to lead. Um, and I think ultimately when we look at this passage, what I, what I think that the big picture is, is that God wants husbands and wives to be in a, in a team with one another, not a competition with one another. And so often in our culture, what I see is it seems to me that husbands and wives are not working together, that there's this battle raging within the home sort of over, you know, who's doing what. And it's like they're in competition or they're keeping score. But the, the picture of this is that you have this unit that begins with husband and wife and will bleed into, it's going gonna, it's gonna to continue into to parenting and children and all of that. But it's, he's trying to create this unit that is effective and honoring to Christ as it plays itself out. This has everything to do with role, and it has nothing to do with the woman's worth or value or capability or ability or anything like that. A few years ago, we were going through a similar text, um, and I made mention that, like, my doctor is a female, my dentist is a female, my vet is a female, like all of these women in my life that quite frankly, I would rather have in my life uh, than having a man do it. And if, if something happened to me medically, I would much rather a woman take it, care of the issue because I believe she'll read the instructions before <laughs> she tries to like work on me. And, <clears throat> and so... This somehow in God's order, and like you hear all sorts of things, like 100%, 100%, and, and the reality is like, often when I do weddings and I'm talking to young couples, what I really see this is, is like in God's eyes, the sort of the responsibility in the marriage, it's like a, the 51% to the male and 49% to the women. You're, this is just in my thinking, um, that both have weight, both can destroy the situation, but at the end of the day, like at the end of the day, the scripture kind of makes it clear. Somehow, like when we stand before God as husbands, that ultimately somehow we bear responsibility for how we led our family spiritually, and we see this pattern beginning all the way back to Adam and Eve when Eve ate the fruit. But who bore responsibility throughout the Bible? Throughout the Bible, it was Adam. That there was some. Uh, something gave way. And I think that the heart of this is, is, is really for the sake of trying to create a union where there's really good teamwork for a greater purpose. Now, you might be thinking, and I have to address it, is like if you're thinking, well, my husband is an unregenerate jerk. What about me? And I think, that's a, I think that is a reasonable question. Um, the first thing I would always like to point out is if you're a single lady, take note. Um, you choose your husband, right? Um, so you, you choose who you marry. So I would say do this wisely. So, so often we get sort of wrapped up in emotions and feelings, and then you, you connect your life to somebody that isn't 
going the same direction, isn't like-minded, and it only uh, heads to, to painful and, and uncomfortable positions. I, I think, to, you know, as a, as, a, as a dad to two girls, that, like, you, you, you first want to love God, find somebody that loves God, that's submitted to God, because that's, that's the kind of relationship you want, where the husband has yielded his life to something that's greater than him, his creator, and that he's willing to humble himself and to lead into that capacity. So if you're not married, choose wisely. Because to be married in a situation that's hard, is hard. The Bible gives some instructions that we're not going to cover about. If you were to go to First Peter chapter 3, you would read there that if you find yourself as a woman who's in a relationship with a uh, non-believing guy, difficult guy, there is sort of a heart of, of, of the woman sort of focusing on, her, uh, on the in, inward, not the external, living her life in, in a way that, that she might be used by God to lead her husband to salvation in Christ and then ultimately to have that a relationship. But the reality is, is if you find yourself in an abusive, uh, miserable ex- existence within your marriage where your husband is asking you to do things that are contrary to God, um, we often look at Acts 5.29 where where Peter was about to break civil law. And he says, listen, we must obey God rather than men. On this, Charles Swindoll says, submit right up to the point where obedience to human authority becomes disobedience to God. At this point, civil disobedience becomes Christian duty. And that doesn't mean that it's going to go well. Most of people historically who have crossed this line where their obedience to God was more important to them than, than submitting to the authority, it ultimately resulted in many of them being burned at the stake, uh, executed for their faith. And then historically we look back and we go, oh man, those people were like, like they really surrendered all to be obedient. And so it's, it is, uh, this is a difficult, this is a difficult area that, that, it's reality. And if, if you're in there, I, you know, get help, talk to me, I'm, I'm here. I obviously was raised in an abusive, abusive childhood, and so I understand the realities of, of not being in a home that's kosher. And I do think that God, that there's an out for that. But the point of this, I do think that the past, this passage, sort of just in the, the, the broad strokes, it's to wives, not to men. I think that the idea here in this, uh, this idea of subjecting yourself, placing yourself in an order underneath your husband, I think it's based on sort of this idea of a covenant, uh, meaning that it's not conditional on what the other person does. It means that I have this relationship with my Father in heaven. Uh, Jesus has died for me. He desires this for me, so I'm going to submit to my Creator in this area, and I'm going to worship Him. Uh, by living my life this way, not because my husband is perfect, because there's no such thing as a perfect husband. Then we get into the hard text for me, because it's, I'm a guy, right? So like, I'm a husband, so I obviously think this one's harder because I'm not a wife, I'm not dealing with that, so I think this one's harder. Um, this one, there's a lot here, but if you, um, I'll read it. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, uh, that he might present him to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their 
own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and he shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so when I look at this sort of to the husbands in the big picture, there is sort of this idea, I think, of, of the challenge and responsibility of leading your family spiritually well. And as you lead your family spiritually well, there's obviously, obviously all sorts of implications that sort of flow uh, from that. I think that this is an exceptionally important area of how a husband lives and guides and leads his family. Uh, in First Timothy chapter 3, when they give the qualifications of what it is to be a pastor or an elder, these are qualifications for what does a spiritually mature Christian man look like. It's not exclusively for pastors. Pastors should be selected from men who walk with Christ and have a level of maturity. So it's not a list that's for pastors only. It's, it's a list that's sort of for all men. And within this list, one of the things that pops up is it says, look at his family. Does he lead and love his family well? Is his family nurtured and cared for? And if a man can't care and nurture his family well, how is he supposed to lead the church of God? Because it's a whole lot more complicated when you have a whole lot more people sort of there. Um, just this week, um, I ended up in a conversation. I had shared something, and a friend of mine said, oh, that person, they're bad. They did all the stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 there's a lot of controversy. So I'm not even going to name the person. But a well-known pastor that many years ago stuff sort of happened in his life. Depends on where you fall. You think, uh, I obviously don't condemn the guy as, as uh, the internet did. A lot of years have passed. He stepped out of the limelight, but he's pastoring now. And, and he's, he's now like a grandfather with all his kids. And it's like, well, when I look at his life now, his wife appears to love him. All of his kids seem to be walking with the Lord. They're all very involved. Like, so it's, to me, the fruit of his life, to me, carries uh, more weight than angry tweeters or X, whatever you call it now. Like it's, but it's, um, so this area of how we lead and love our family and our wives is super important in the eyes of God. And, and this, this whole section, verses 25 through th- what I read, 31 or thir- 31, is it's just packed with, with sort of an illustration looking at Jesus and how he lived and loved. And so the command here is given two ways. Basically, the command given three times in this passage is to love your wives. The word is agape. It's not a a sensual love. It's not a feeling-based. It's a covenantal type love that you are going to love and you're going to do what is better for the individual, not better for yourself. It's sacrificial. And so we're, we're, we're instructed first to love your wives as Christ also loved the church. And so if we unpack that, uh, Christ ultimately gave his life for the church. Christ is very active in the church. And if that's just too difficult for you to understand, by verse 28, when he says it again, so husbands are to love their wives, he breaks it down into more of a user-friendly format or uh, easier to understand, is that you're supposed to love your wives as your own body. Because 
Everybody understands what it means to love yourself, that we take care of ourselves, we feed ourselves, we nourish ourselves, we dress ourselves, we do these things. And so how you would treat yourself, treat your wife with that sort of love if you're having a difficult time understanding. And in in the midst of of this whole section, we can't forget verse 21, because verse 21 said that we're to submit to one another out of our fear for Christ. So this absolutely applies to husbands, to their wives. Um, On Monday, I was talking to Pablo, my Spanish teacher in Spain. And I was explaining to him this situation that had surfaced. And I was like, I I think it's something that I feel like I'm supposed to do. And I was like, but I I need to talk to my wife just to see what she thinks about this. And, and, uh, and my wife, of course, supported the idea. Um, but he just started laughing and speaking really fast Spanish. And I like, I don't understand word for word what he said, but I absolutely understand what he said. He was like, I don't care where you live. Spain, Argentina, Russia, America, Canada. He starts listing all these countries. Every man should listen to his wife and submit himself or they're going to be miserable. And it was just like super funny. It's like, well, also you chose your wife. Like my wife is like so much wiser than me. has like just like wisdom, skill, talent, all of these things. And it's like, you'd be foolish not to like work together as a team. But so often our marriages are treated like we're in competition with one another. And so then we're just going to skip over to verse 33. We're going to come back to verse 32 at the end here, which I got to wrap myself. I got to move along. And then in verse 33, there's sort of like this summary statement, sort of rewording everything that's been said. And often verse 33 is more palatable for people, I think, because I think it kind of shares the heart of the whole thing. Um, but here, when he recapsulates everything, he says, nevertheless, each among each Individual amongst you also is to love his own wife. Nothing changes for the husband. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Uh, some author capitalized on this phrase, and he published a book. I never read the book, but it's sort of like the idea that as the husband loves, the, the wife respects. And it's sort of like this, this circular sort of uh, process. Um, but husbands loving your wives has nothing to do with how your wife treats you. And wives, how you... Treat your husband has nothing to do with how he treats you. The, the idea of both of these things is that you're looking at Christ and what he's done for you, and therefore you're submitting your life to Christ and then living this way. And I have to spe- I had to speed through this to get to verse 32. Because I think that verse 32 sort of like embeds like this at least a major current that is flowing through this passage that is super significant. And already, like I am today, it's like, you, well, you want to navigate the passage, and then you kind of get to the end, and then we have to sort of gloss over this. And I think that this might be the main thing, but I'll have to get to heaven to see if this is the main thing. And I really think that there is like, if it's not the main thing, it's like a super important thing. In verse 32, we read, this mystery is great. Well, what mystery is he talking about? He's like, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So Paul's like talking and he's talking about all of this stuff. And you get to verse 32, and it's like Paul's mind is just like absolutely like, it seems like blown away that this mystery, this thing that was previously not revealed to us that has now been revealed is overwhelming. 
And he's like, the thing that I'm talking about, he's like, I'm not talking about marriage. I'm not talking about husbands and wives and that relationship. What I'm talking about is Jesus's relationship to the church. And so then it forces me to like, well, what is this great mystery? How do we sort of backtrack and sort of go through what has he said about Jesus in the church? If we were to go back, go back to verse 23, the first thing that we would read is that Jesus is the head of the church. So when we look at the global church, which would include local churches like ours, we find ourselves under the authority of Christ Jesus, that he is the head. He is absolutely the authority. He is the husband. We as the church are the bride of Christ. Verse 23, again, he says, he himself. When you see that, it sort of is emphasizing, highlighting the he himself. Jesus alone, exclusively, totally by himself, is the savior of the body, the church. And the church is not the building. The church is the individuals who have given their life to Christ, who have been saved by his grace through faith, that together, collectively, we make up the church. And we're told that he himself, that Jesus, is the savior of the body. So collectively, for those of us who find ourselves in the body of Christ, it's by Jesus' work alone. Verse 23, he continues, which I already said, the church is subject to Christ. And so we have placed ourselves under his authority. So the things that we as a church collectively desire to do, we recognize that our authority comes from Jesus through the scriptures. And so we seek to honor him with everything that we do and say and trust. We always fall short, but our aim is this is the standard. And this is what we seek to to go about. Then he says in verse 25, he highlights that Jesus, why why would we subject ourselves to Jesus? Well, Christ loved and he died for the church. He gave everything so that we might have this relationship with him. So naturally, we should desire to give and to respond with everything that we have to him. Verse 26, what, about, what else about Jesus? We read the sanctification process that Jesus provides. That means he moves us from where we were in our flesh, this process of becoming more and more like him over the course of our lives, that one day when we die or that we're raptured to heaven and we have our new bodies and we're free from any sort of sin or imperfection, and we'll stand before him in glory, totally, perfectly sanctified as God has always desired. Verse 27, Jesus will present a spotless church at that day of glory. Jesus, verse 29, nourishes and cherishes the church. And number 30, that we are members of his body. And so this like intimacy between Jesus, the groom, and the church, the bride, is like overwhelming. I think it's so overwhelming that so few commentators actually like pause to to like expand about this aspect that's being said. And I eventually found one in this commentary that's actually not a deep commentary. It's actually a very like surface level commentary, but they gave like three paragraphs to this idea. And this is what they write in the commentary opening up Ephesians. God ordained human marriage, not merely for pragmatic, social, or procreative reasons, important as those are, but so that the human race might have a picture of how much Christ loves his church and how the church in return 
excuse me, that is why Paul can say, wait, I got my lost here. Where do I need to back? Okay, let's go back here. Uh, but so that the human race might have a picture of just how much Christ loves his church and how the church, in return, loves and follows Christ. That is why Paul can say, in all of his discussion of marriage, he is really speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Marriage exists for precisely this reason. When you attend a wedding and see the bride dressed in dazzling white, looking into her bridegroom's eyes, loving him, trusting him, believing in him, you see a picture of how the church ought to look into Christ's eyes. When you hear the groom making those incredible vows to love this young woman, to honor her, to cherish her all his days, you hear just a glimpse of Jesus' commitment to his church. Moreover, the same picture will be painted 60 years later when he comes home every day to the nursing home and spoons out her oatmeal bite by bite, and she continues to look into his eyes with complete trust and faith. When I read this, I like it welled up because I think of that song by uh, Mark Schultz. I would have read out the lyrics, but I couldn't get through it. It's like the walking her home. And it's this picture of this young teenage boy going on a date with a girl, and the dad says, get her home on time. And they kind of go through the the story of her life. And the lyrics is like, he was just walking her home. And then she finds herself at the end of the song sort of on hospice. And the kids are like, hey, should we tell dad that mom's about to die? And it turns out dad was in the room as mom died. And the song's like, he was just walking her home. And it's this beautiful picture of like love and, and being with this woman out of his commitment to Christ and his love for her, it's overwhelming. So when I read this, that song kind of comes to mind. And then the, the, the quote continues. This is how Christ and the church relate to one another. God ordained human marriage. So he's saying that the purpose that God created human marriage is that so we might see and understand that greater spiritual marriage. And so if you read this passage and you're a guy and you say, oh, it's just that my wife will do what I tell her to do, that she'll submit to me. And and we get sort of like wrapped around the axle. We're missing everything. Christian, your marriage is so much bigger than you. Your marriage is supposed to be a picture of the father in heaven, this relationship that we have with Jesus, his son, and what Jesus has done on our behalf, and this love that he has for his bride, the church. That when the world looks at us and our marriages, they should say, you know what? There's something special there. And I think it has to do with the God that they serve. It's not about your wife submitting to you or doing this or that. How this, this, it's, it's really shameful how the, the, the quote unquote, church and these Christian quote-unquote men have abused this passage over the years. When we look at how Jesus loves and interacts with the church, that bar is so high that we should be like our marriages within the Christian home should be the envy of the world that like every feminist out there should say, you know what? I wish I had that. Amen. Amen. It's true. So all of us need Jesus in every area of our lives. And my prayer is that all of us, whether you're married or single, that we would be able to be a light unto the world for him. And that our lives would 
reflect who God is to a world that desperately needs him. And so, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Father, so often we come to the word with our own ideas, our preconceptions about what's being said. And as I look at this passage, I don't think I fully get it, but clearly there's something greater here dealing with Jesus and his love for his church and his great sacrifice. And so, Father, as we live our lives, wherever we find ourselves, whatever season of life we find ourselves in, we ask that you would help us to walk closely with you so that our lives would just reflect your love, your beauty. Lord, help us. uh, Because this side of heaven, we... We have sin, we have shortfalls. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us to be gracious towards one another, to be forgiving towards one another. And that ultimately, Lord, that you would lead us. And I pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.